Today is June 25th, uh, 2017. The title of today's message is Equipped for Others. Equipped for Others. If you will turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to start off in verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Got Justin there. Amen. Getting, getting some other folks there. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be, begin today. It says this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Everybody say, be upon. Be upon. These commandments are supposed to be upon our hearts. Then we immediately turn and do something in verse 7. It says, impress them on your children. Imprint them on your children. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. So we're saying whether you're at your house or not at your house. Whether it's the morning or the evening. Verse 8. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. If you were with us on our men's reload uh, weekend, we talked about a mezuzah, a family statement that expressly puts your purpose something that you can write down within a sentence. How many of you have a family mezuzah as we speak? How many of you keep your hands up? How many of you are working on a family mezuzah? Amen. Amen. If you have not yet done that, this is something that our church is doing. We are all moving forward together. We're going we're gonna to lock arms and we are going forward in a certain purpose. Why? Because if you don't understand your purpose, then what happens? You're, you can become aimless. You can become where you're not certain of what God is trying to do. We want you to be certain of what God is calling you to do. We want you to move in the right direction, ever advancing towards what God has given you as a person to accomplish. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to equip and empower you as individuals in this church. The church is not the building. The church is not the pastorship. The church is you and us. It's together and we want to move everyone forward. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is a, very, this is a parallel passage to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to show you something that the, that the Lord brought out to me just the other day. Let's Deuteronomy chapter 11. And let's look at verse... 13. It says this, So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in grain, new wine, and oil. I will provide grass in the field for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. <laughs> your grain, your new wine, and your oil. Your threshing floors, your wine press, and your olive presses. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Do you think God gives us uh, vain warnings? If He's saying be careful, there's a reason. It's because it's easy for us to do these things. We can get sidetracked, especially if we don't have our vision that the Lord has given us ever before us. Verse 17, Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and He will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. Look at these next few verses. T uh, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. 
so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers. He's specifically talking, the God of all creation is talking to a specific group of people in a specific place about a specific plan. Amen? He is talking to a group of people. But I want us to take a look here today and look at a few of these words together because I believe that the Lord is trying to equip us. Uh, I believe that the Lord is trying to continue to equip us today in these areas. Here's, here's what it says. First of all, we're supposed to fix it. Everybody say fix. fix. Then what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to tie it. Everybody say tie. tie. Then we're supposed to teach. Everybody say teach. teach. Then we're supposed to write. Everybody say write. write. Pretty simple words, right? We are supposed to fix these. What are these? These are the commands of the Lord. These are the directions that the Lord has given you. These are His words that are not just supposed to be vain and idle words for you. They are supposed to be your life, is what Deuteronomy 32 says. These words that He has given us, we are supposed to fix. We're supposed to determine. We're supposed to call. We're supposed to convey. These are, these are other parts of this we're supposed to bring to the front. The paleo here tells us that we are supposed to press to add and secure a mighty revelation. This is what we're trying to press into. You're trying to fix something. In other words, you have to have God's plan for your life and put it before you. You have to have it determined. You have to know what it is. You have to fix it. Everybody say, I'm going to fix it. We're going to determine what this is. And then what happens after you fix it? Then you're able to bind yourself to it then you're able to actually tie it. <laughs> the paleo here talks about circling up. If you were with us yesterday, we talked about the word and the idea that the word generations means to circle up. This word here means to tie, uh, to circle, and to press, to make something primary. We're supposed to tie ourselves. We're supposed to fix it. We're supposed to understand what God is calling us to do. We're supposed to tie it. We're supposed to circle and attach ourselves to what God is doing. You ever done a three-legged race? How many, anybody good at a three-legged race in here? Hey, see how like, got some that are, right? Got to figure out that gate. Got to figure out how to work together. You're tied to it. If one of you goes down, it's likely that the other will go down too. When you're successful and you get a good rhythm, then you're able to move. This is the idea that you are tying yourself to this revelation. What else is next? We have to teach. We have to teach. Immediately after you understand your purpose, the very next thing that the Scripture always does is start to turn your attention to others. You cannot have a mezuzah for yourself that does not impact those around you. You're supposed to start teaching those to your children. You're supposed to actually start in writing these things down. You're supposed to yoke yourself to a mighty entrance here. And then to write. After you fixed it, after you've tied yourself and committed yourself to it, then you begin to teach then you also begin to write. Why is there a difference there? Seems like if you're already teaching, why do you need to write it? You know why? Because we forget things very, very quickly. You were actually supposed to put your mezuzah about in the top third on the right side of your doorframe of every room in your house, both entering and exiting, except for unclean rooms. That was it. Why? Because it is so easy for us to pass by things, to say that we know things, but, not, but to not be implementing them in any kind of way. What the Lord is asking us to do as a church is to fix these things in our heart. Want, Pastor, we've already kind of had, haven't we already had this message just a little bit? No. And if we have, I'm saying we've got to fix it. 
I didn't have, we didn't have every hand in the room raised. We had some that are working to fix it now, but we're trying to fix these things as a church in your individual lives so that you can tie yourself to it, so that you can begin to teach your own family and watch and write and see it before you so that it may impact you, just like Habakkuk 2, 2 says. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The way I often like to say it is brothers are born in adversity. When you have to battle with somebody, when you go into war with somebody next to you, it builds, it builds brotherhood. Turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Let's look at verse 24. That's the one I actually wanted. Amen. We're going to read it anyway because I wrote it. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. I think I wrote down the wrong one. But there you go for your little tidbit for the day. Don't make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn his, you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Word of God is good. I'm going to just throw that out there. It's not at all what I intended, but praise God. Amen. We're going to keep going. <laughs> Somebody needed that. Let's just go with that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Just a prophecy for you. <laughs> what we're learning in this church is that it's important for us that we need our brothers, we need our sisters, and they need us. That we need to be willing to die for our brother's vision. We're going to get into this here in just a second. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. The word says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. The Bible also tells us in Psalm 68 that God sets the lonely in families. If you're here in this church, you're not alone. You've got somebody. You may be a single person, but you're not alone. There's a difference. When you've got a church, this is exactly what we're trying to help you do is that we have two that are better than one. Also if, uh, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may over, be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What I want us to remember today is this, as we're looking and thinking about being equipped for others. This has been something that the Lord has been moving on my heart over the last few days about. If you have a lack in your life, if this is true, if one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves at least, at least you can get back to back and fight it out, and a three-strand cord is not easily broken. It provides strength to this. How did, how did Jesus send out those disciples who were going to go out in Luke 10 and in Matthew 10? Sent them out two by two. He's sending them out because it's easy. They can go together. Our team you saw in the, in the picture wasn't just a single person talking. There were multiple guys that were there. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. It's not quickly broken. There's something about it that God is trying to wind our hearts together, trying to interweave our lives together. Because of this principle, we have to understand, you know what I've been doing lately? Is whatever I think I need. Here's my request, Lord. Here's the thing that I need from you. Here are, here are a series of things that I would like. So you know what I've been doing? I've been trying to figure out in the church... 
someone who might need the same thing, and I've been praying for you about what I need. I figure that if I can start dying for my brother's vision, even in my prayers, if I'm, if I'm feeling like I need the Lord to speak to me, you know what I'm doing? Is I'm thinking about people, I'm like, Lord, would you speak to Justin Treister? Would you speak to him today? Yeah, but I need it. I'm, I'm not saying that I don't make my request known to the Lord because that is a scriptural precedent. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying to ask the Lord for anything, but what I'm doing is I'm spending more time asking that God speak to Justin. I'm spending more time that God will speak to Damien. I'm spending more time that God will touch Cody. I'm spending more time praying for you that God will do for you the very things that I think that I need. You know what that's doing in my prayer life? One, I'm praying for y'all a whole lot. <laughs> Two, you know what it does? It's making me hungry for the Lord to do things in other people. And that's the right kind of attitude that we should have. I'm actually wanting God to move in you more than I have in recent times. It's not that I haven't wanted that. It, there's a hunger when I see you. I'm like, Lord, are you speaking to Buddy? Lord, would you reveal to him? He's getting ready to move Peru, to Peru with his family and do a mighty work there. Lord, are you, Lord, would you have every step be according to your plan? Would you have every single step? Uh, turn to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. Let's start in verse 1. It says this, Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you've obeyed me in everything I commanded. This is the group that we know as the Transjordanic tribes. In other words, their inheritance, they got to their inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan, but they went ahead and crossed over with everyone else, fought their battles with them, and then this is the time where they're allowed to go back to their place. If you have reached the place where you could kind of call it quits, you can kind of coast. You can go, yeah, the Lord's really doing some pretty good stuff in me. The idea of the Transjordanic tribes is that we go and we fight for our brother's vision. Amen. I'm not done until you're done. Amen. I'm not completed in my task until you're completed in your task. And what they did was they went and they obeyed everything that the Lord commanded them so that they could be a part of it. They stayed apart. They stayed engaged. They went to war for their brothers. <laughs> Very militant sounding, right? This is for men and women in this place. We've got to go to war for, not against each other. I don't want to go to war against Mandy because she's going to probably beat me anyway. But I want to go to war for Mandy. I want to stand beside her and go, what is in your heart? Then I'm going to go after that for you. I'm not going to worry about me. We're going to put that on the background. You know what? It's probably a good thing for us to learn to die to self in every way that we can. Amen. No, you don't agree with that. Okay, great. It's still true. Yeah. yeah, but I died to myself yesterday. Well, that was yesterday. Well, I died to myself 10 minutes ago. Well, that was 10 minutes ago. I promise you there's a whole lot more of us in us than we realize. Oh, pastor, I've died to myself. Yeah, if you put it in the past tense, I'm just going to say, nope, you're wrong. Maybe by faith, yes, we've died to self. Amen. By faith. Okay, we'll let that one go then. But I want to die to self every day. I want... I want to know what Gabriel Arias is all about, and I want, to go, I want to help him achieve what he's got. I want to go to war for my brother. Keep going to the next verse, please. Now that the Lord your God has given you brothers, given your brothers rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Now that you fought for them, and now that they've received what they need, now, now, 
And only now can you go back and enjoy what, what you get to have full rights to. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 39. Hebrews 11. And we're going to start in verse 39. Hebrews 11 is known as the Faith Hall of Fame. Incredible chapter. If you ever get discouraged and you want to see what a, uh, what a standard of a godly person is like, read through Hebrews 11. It's incredible. And right here at the end, in verse 39, it says this, These were all commended for their faith. All this whole giant list, by faith Enoch, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Over and over and over again, they're saying that through faith and by faith, they accomplished incredible things. They conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They subdued. They, they did all of these incredible things. These were all commended for their faith. Everybody say faith. faith. How, how were they commended for their faith? They were commended because of their, their faith produced actions that allowed them to be commended. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Next verse. God had planned something better for us so that only together would they be made perfect. If you think that you can get to the perfect life that you want without some togetherness, then you don't understand the entirety of Scripture. If Hebrews 11 needed us so that together that they could fulfill, they could be made perfect, then how much do we need? We need each other. We need the church. We need God's plan in our life to be functioning properly. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 14. This was a passage that Pastor Matt got a wonderful revelation on the other day that blew my mind. It was, it was fantastic. Matthew 3.14. So Jesus is coming and trying to get baptized. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. Whoa, what's going on? Anybody ever asked you something and you're like, why aren't you asking me for that? Like, I, this should be flipped around the other way. Next verse. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Do you know that Jesus needed something? It's not because he, we all know that Jesus didn't lack. There wasn't a lack issue. He needed John because all righteousness needed to be fulfilled. For righteousness sake, we need each other. We often portray it as, I have weaknesses, you have strengths. These will, we, we will be... Uh, uh, complementary of each other. We will help each other out. Yes, that may be true, and there are just times when it is just for righteousness' sake that you need to make sure that you're living in community, that you are living together, that you're living on purpose around each other. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 9. Are you all with me today? I know I'm just, I'm just laying some groundwork here. Matthew chapter 9. You know what happens when you start praying for each other as, as fervently as you'd pray for yourself? You start having compassion for other people. 
There are some people who are, uh, we'll say they're designed by God and, and the compassion level is pretty high. There are other people, not so much, right? And compassion is, that's not the, the first place that you come from, is having compassion. But I want to show you a few verses to see when we're walking rightly together, it allows there to be a compassion, a humility in our hearts that is needed. Look in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Say there when you're there. Uh, let's do verse 35. Put it in context. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Yeah, he was uh, staying pretty busy, right? Every disease and sickness. Didn't matter what it was, getting healed. When he saw the crowds, Jesus thought what a cool thing it was to speak in front of large crowds. No. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Uh, there is a ridiculous phrase that modern churches sometimes use. It's called compassion fatigue. When you go and you do a lot of uh, outreach, you go do things. Uh, I first heard it when we were in Louisiana in, in Baton Rouge at a church, and they were saying, hey, we're going to go help. It was after Hurricane Katrina. Giant amount of devastation. And, and we were going down there, and I kept hearing the phrase, you know, be careful about compassion fatigue. Wait, what? Don't get overwhelmed with your compassion. I, 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 my honest thought is I don't think most people have enough compassion. I don't, I don't think it's because it gets tired. I, I, I think that we need to have more compassion. I think that we need to motivate ourselves and understand that when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion upon them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd. Do, do you go around in your day and look at people like that? Do you see people when you go into, a, into a, a store and you're looking at them and you're going, golly, that person is like a sheep without a shepherd. God, look at these people. You, that should be your heart, by the way. If it's not, let's not pretend like it's for someone else. It's only for the evangelist in the group. It's only for a pastor. This is Jesus Christ setting the example for us. That we're supposed to look at people and have compassion. We're supposed to see them with eyes that are from the heavens that say, God, you know, my flesh wants to get angry at this person because they don't know what they're doing. They're ridiculous. They're silly. They're carnal. They're whatever they are. But you know what? The spirit inside of you should rise up and go, yeah, and I would have been just like that except for the Lord. I'd have probably been worse than that guy, than that girl. I'd have probably been worse off than them. But the Lord, He sees us and He's moved with compassion. Then look what it says next. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, because he was filled with compassion, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He didn't look at it like a business decision. He didn't look at it like, well, you know what will happen to that harvest if we don't get enough workers? It wasn't a business decision for him. He looked at it and went, wow, we need to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. We can't be a church that wants to send people to the world if we forget about having compassion for the people that he's trying to send us to. When you go and you hear the Brassos uh, talk to you about Peru, they can give you a lot of details, but you know what I hear? I hear them sharing their heart for a people group. 
They start talking about names. They start talking about places. They start talking about the people that they met. And they're moved with compassion. And that's what causes them to want to go. Look at Matthew chapter 14. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Hey, let me ask you this today. How's your compassion going? How are you doing? If we set this as your standard for compassion, do you look at people with compassion or do you look at them with indifference? Do you look at people with compassion or do you not notice the people that are around you? How are you doing, how am I doing, having compassion for the people that we see? Let's look at uh, the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 35. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and fish. When he had given thanks, he broke them and gave the disciples, gave them to the disciples. And they in turn gave it to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets of broken pieces that were left over. This is the next chapter. In the chapter before, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. In the next chapter, he's feeding the 4,000. You know what's the same? He's moved with compassion for both. Look at chapter 20. Chapter 20 of the same book, verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Isn't that typical for our world? Somebody actually needs something for the Lord, so you cry out. So what's the natural response? Shh, don't do that. Be quiet. Don't actually, you know, love the Lord and be demonstrative with it. Just keep it under wraps, man. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? I love that. Uh, We're blind and we're sitting on the side of the road. Anything you like. Yeah, the reason I bring that up is it's important that we do when the Lord is ready to ask us, hey, what do you want me to do for you? No, I know exactly what I need. I know exactly what I want you to do for me. And while you're at it, I know what I want you to do for my friend as well. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Well, good, good choice. Good answer. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. You guys get the point of this? Our God is full of compassion. Are you full of compassion? Are you getting out there and preaching to people because you like the, the sparring aspect of it? That's kind of fun, i got to admit. But do you have compassion for the people that you're speaking to? Do you have compassion when you, when you walk into a store and you see somebody? Do you have compassion on the person when they start opening up and sharing things about you? Or sharing things with you? Do you are you moved inside? Because you're supposed to be. Um, I have a video that I want to show you really quickly from Turkey from this morning. Hello, Churches of the One Association. I've just met three young boys from Iraq. They're refugees here in Turkey, and uh, they're meeting Christians. Look at these little guys. Uh, Don't they deserve to know the truth? Say, hallelujah, hallelujah. A little 20-second clip from this morning as they're there in Samsung meeting Iraqi refugees. Can you just put the still shot? You don't have to play it again. 
Can you just put it back up on the screen? Uh, most of us in here, when we saw it, we, a smile came to our faces, right? We love Pastor Eric. The beard is righteous, right? It's fun to see young people on the screen. Our hearts are supposed to be moved with compassion. We're sending a team there because it is absolutely the will of God. That's true. We're sending a team to Turkey because it is God's plan to use this church to be at the tip of a spear for a, a battle that's going to take the next many generations for us to accomplish. We're going into a nation that is close to 100% Muslim, and we're wanting to go and convert Muslims. We're wanting to go and set up shop in Turkey so that we can... Re you know what we have to do? We have to have compassion for the people that we're reaching out to because that reflects our God. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Are you guys with me today? How's your compassion? Take a compassion check. Not compassion fatigue, but take a compassion check today to make sure that when you're seeing people... I challenge you today. We're going to move on with Hebrews 13 in just a second. When you go to lunch, when you come over to our house later, because everyone in this room is invited to our house later on tonight. See how you're doing with your compassion. Parents, how do you look at your kids? Do you have compassion? Are we looking at the loss with compassion? Are you able to look at yourself with compassion? And I think God is going to start to help us. Why? Because we have to have His purposes fixed in our heart. We have to have them tied and bound to us. We're trying to teach them to others around us. We're going to write them and make them plain so everyone can see it around us. In Hebrews chapter 13, I want to present something to you here. Let's look in chapter 13 and verse 20. Is everybody there? Uh, you could do the slide for this, Joy. It says this. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, I kind of got stuck on that this morning. He is through the blood. God, the God of peace through the blood of the eternal covenant from Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, by the way. He's such a great shepherd of the sheep. He's willing to fight. He's willing to do. He's willing to, to, to put himself in between the danger and us. He is the great shepherd. Everything that you can imagine about a righteous shepherd, Jesus does that and more. And look at verse 21. That great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Um, work in us. I remember as a kid, my mom, was she would do a lot of baking, and she would get dough. And she would show us how to do it. And actually, I just think it was something to occupy the kids for as much time as possible. But she would show us how to work the dough. She would have the flour and the water and start doing things and just make us knead. Not N-E-E-D, but like we would just knead the dough. We would work it. We would work it into it. We would keep going, and we're like, can we stop? Like after four and a half seconds. Can, is that enough? No, no, no. No, you've got to keep going. Actually, the, the more that you work it in there, the better that this is going to get. You're going to love this. And so she would just, I have no idea if that was actually true. It was just a mom keeping us busy. But, hey, you've got to work this in. You know what the Lord is doing in our lives right now? He's working things into us. He's working it in. Pastor, for weeks now we've been talking about mezuzahs and purpose and direction and getting wrecked 
in Turkey. That word for empty. We've been talking about the, we've been having parenting classes. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. You know what we're doing? The Lord is needing. He's working things into us. He's moving it into us so that what was there, it has to be properly mixed within us. It has to be firmly established within us. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him. He gets to do that in us. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. I want to take a look at that word equip with you just for a minute. This is the word in the Greek. It's the Greek 2675. The Greek 2675. Katartizo. Katartizo. One of those. We're going to go with that one. Okay? This is to adjust, to fit, to finish. Again, the word is equip in the verse, but this is all what we understand. We're getting a better and a bigger picture of this. To adjust, to fit, to finish, to complete. The fundamental meaning is to put a thing in its appropriate condition. To put it the way that it's supposed to be. So when it says that the great shepherd, that the God of all peace is going to equip you, what is he doing? He's finishing you. You ever done a project and you get it kind of done? But what do you have to do? You have to end up cleaning it up. Pastor Matt uh, put some tile in his house the other day. And, and he was the, the contractor. And there were some of us that were just like general labor guys. Right? And you're like, yeah, we're going to put it in floor. If you've never put it in a floor before, how many, there's a lot of folks in here who have. If you've been a part of our church, you've done it before. But there's like 10 projects within just putting in the floor, right? You've got to take up the old... You got to prepare the concrete, then you got to make the mortar, then you got, there's all these steps in it. But what happens that when you finally get all those things installed, then it's time to finish it out. Then you can kind of come back and you're doing things, and the very last things that you do are clean it up and polish it up so it looks beautiful. Where are you in the process of God equipping you right now? The Lord, the great shepherd of all, is he's in a process of working through some things. He's putting things in you. He's working it in there. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. But you know what? At some point, when he is equipping you, this word means to put a thing in its appropriate condition. Hey, Steve, he's going to get us right where we need to be. Man, Brandon, God is going to get us right where we need to be if we'll allow him to keep working. Amen? Take a look. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture that help us to understand this equipping that the Lord is doing in us to accomplish things in us. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 40. Luke 6, 40. It says this. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully equipped, everyone who is fully trained will be just like his teacher. You know, one of the things in discipleship that we're really trying to do is you end up wanting to be like your teacher. One of the things that a right kind of parenting does is your kids become like you. Because it's your responsibility completely as parenting. We come alongside of you to help you so that you can reproduce what you are but only better. Amen? Amen? Take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. 
And we're going to look at verse 3. Hebrews 11, 3 <clears throat> says this. By faith we understand that the universe was equipped at God's command. That it was formed. That it was katarzizo at His command so that what is seen was not made out of anything that was visible. Guys, if God is trying to equip us, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you something there as well. Ephesians chapter 4. If He's trying to equip us, then we have to allow this process to take full maturity within us. We have to remember that what He's put inside of us is not just for us, but is for the others that are around us. Hebrews chapter 4 and look at verse 11. It says this, It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why does He do this? To prepare God's people for works of service. To equip us so that the body may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, years ago when we were trying to work on our mezuzah statement as a family, we're trying to figure out what the Lord had called us to. The truth is, as we went through, we really called out to the Lord and we had to look back a little bit in our lives and see what the Lord had done. We had to pray and see, Lord, is, is what we viewed, is this the right thing? Uh, I, I don't know that mine is very fancy at all, but it's what the Lord has given us to do as a family, is that we're supposed to equip and empower people. We're supposed to equip and empower God's people for their works of service. We want as a family to help build you up. Our success is in finding you walk and do exactly what God has called you to do. I love my mezuzah. I love it. It's when I find things that match it in the Word, I'm like, oh, that is us. That's, this is a great thing. It takes great delight. It allows us to walk in confidence to know, hey, you know what? If all else is going to go on, I know what we're going to do. We're going to help you to do your thing. We're going to help to equip and empower you. We need to be doing this as a church. We need to be finding what your mezuzah is so that we can walk in it and encourage each other. This equipping, this empowering that we have here is very, very important for us to share with each other. Amen? Let's take a look at um, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Let's start in verse 12. Philippians 2.12. It says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. God, it's God that's in you. He's going to give you the desire and then He's going to give you the strength to carry it out. He's going to give you the process. He's going to cause these things to come into your life and then He's going to give you the strength to fulfill it in every way. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. This equipping is an, is an important thing for us to look at as the Lord is trying to equip us. 
Let's take a look at verse 14. Matthew 21, verse 14. It says this, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Uh, by the way, chapter 21 is a pretty uh, timely passage. It's a pretty important passage for the life of Jesus. At the beginning of the chapter, he's coming into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry. What we would call the Passion Week. He gets there and he comes in. And people are shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus then enters the temple and cleanses the temple. Flips over tables. You've made this a den of robbers instead of a house of prayer. Then this happens. The blind and the lame came to him and he's healing them at the temple. Immediately when he puts God's house in order, there are miracles that begin to flow. And what happens? When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. When they saw that he was doing miracles and that even children were drawn to him, they became indignant. Wow. Did that speak a lot about those hearts there? Look at verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained, you've equipped, you've perfected praise? Ha haven't you heard that? Now, the truth is, is I've used that passage a lot of times, or I've heard that passage a lot of times explained. See, children have a perfected kind of praise. It, there's a purity of praise. Well, amen. And look at Psalm chapter 8. Look at Psalm chapter 8 with me. And we're going to see where he is quoting from and have a little bit better understanding of what, need, of what he's actually saying here. Psalm chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> Psalm 8.1 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. This is where he's quoting. But why did he ordain praise from the kids? Because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Uh, Jesus is giving part of a quote and expecting them to be able to finish the rest of it. Long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Four score and... Right? So... He's saying one thing and expecting them to be able to put it in the context of what else is going on. When he's saying in the mouth of praise, uh, in the mouth of children and infants, you have ordained praise, you've perfected it, you've caused it to come and be what it's supposed to be. He's actually saying, why is this the case? It's because you've ordained it so that God can have righteous judgments upon people. And he's talking to the Pharisees about their life. How is this true? Because it continues to go on. In this, uh, back to Matthew 21. Let's look at verse 45. It says this. He goes through that entire chapter. He's going through and setting things right everywhere that he goes. In verse 45, it says this. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. 
He, they finally got the fact because of Psalm 8 reference and him going through and talking about two sons, talking about parables of the tenants who overthrow the landlord. They finally understood that what he was doing was putting righteous judgment upon them. He was actually equipping. He was preparing them for the part that they were supposed to fulfill. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. They finally set it up in their heart and went, oh, this is an antagonistic piece that Jesus is setting up here. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 11. says this, finally, brothers, goodbye. <laughs> this is a benediction, a final greeting. Aim for perfection. Aim for being equipped. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Friends, aim not just for perfection. The word is there is the same one that we saw in Hebrews 13. It's the word for being equipped. Aim for being fully equipped in the Lord so that He can use you rightly. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And verse 10. It says this, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and equip with what is lacking in your faith. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going somewhere, guys, I promise. 1 Peter chapter 5. This idea of equipping. What is the Lord doing in us that is trying to equip us today? 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's start in verse 8. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Look at your neighbor. Say, be alert. Be alert. Look at the other neighbor. Say, be self-controlled. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone that isn't yet fully equipped, looking for someone who yet doesn't have the purpose in their life to walk and run in the direction that they're supposed to. In this interesting? We're talking about the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. And what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be lion killers. We're supposed to be the ones willing to go down in the pit on a snowy day and kill the lion. Well, this, this actually sets this up rightly for us. When we're fully equipped, it doesn't bother us that he's, roaring, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. Why? Because we're lion killers. We're walking in our purpose. We're walking in our calling. We don't have to be afraid of this. Rather, we are self-controlled and alert. We're actually looking for the opportunity to put an end to the enemy. We're actually looking for the times where we can engage in battle and rightly put things in the order that God intends. Next verse, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Part of what God uses to equip all of us are the sufferings that we're involved in. Every one of us. Look at verse 10. <coughs> and the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a while, will Himself restore you and make you strong firm, and steadfast. Well, that's not very nice, is it? 
And the God of all grace, this gracious one, called you after you suffered for a while. This is the reason that He doesn't run in and jump in and save us on the first moment of suffering. Why? Because He needs that to work things out in us. We're going to be going through the suffering, but we want, He wants to come in and restore, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's exactly what the Lord is trying to do for us even today. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have equipped for Me. You've equipped me. You have prepared a body for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Sacrifice and offering are not the thing in and of itself that God required. But didn't He tell them to do those things? That's exactly what He commanded them. But what He was always after was equipping their heart and equipping their life to fully function under God's perfect plan. Take a look at uh, Psalm chapter 40. When it says here that a body you have prepared for me, he's actually quoting from Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40, and we're going to start in verse 6. It says this, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But my ears you have pierced. That's slightly different than the way the New Testament says it, isn't it? Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Why? Because he was always trying to get at our heart. The sacrifices were to teach them how to offer their hearts to the Lord. Not just some mechanical thing on the outside. Not just something that we say, but an actual purpose that had been fixed in our heart that they were walking in towards the Lord. But my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. In Exodus 21, we know this story that it talks about if you have a slave, they've, they've, you've hired a slave for six years and on the seventh year you're supposed to let them go. You're supposed to bless them with goods. But you know what they could do? If they just said, you know what, I love your family. I love this situation that I've been put in. This was not a bad thing for me. My boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. I actually love you so much, I want to serve you voluntarily. And so it, you could go and they would put your ear on the door and put an awl through your ear and mark you. That you would say, I have, voluntarily, I have voluntarily chosen to follow this family. This idea of sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but my ears you have pierced. You've dug out a place. You've, you've fashioned a place, Lord, that my ears can be prepared for you. But the Newer Testament tells us that it's not just an ear that he was trying to scratch out. It was not just an earring, a hole there that he was trying to work through. He was actually trying to say, it's not just an ear that hears the Lord, but it's a life that's been set apart, that's been dug out, that's been equipped, that's been prepared for the Lord. That is the body that has been prepared for me. When the New Testament quotes it, it actually quotes it directly from the Septuagint, from the, from the Greek version of the Bible it actually quotes it from hundreds of years before and it says that Christ said that a body you've prepared for me. 
Christ was prepared for an offering before the foundation of the world, Revelation 13 says. When you look at Him, when Jesus comes to the cross, there was a sign that was prepared for Him that said, this is the King of the Jews. When you read in Luke, you see that a tomb was prepared. It was hewn out, a rock that was prepared for Him for a burial place. These things were cut out. They were removed from Him. They were removed from the tomb so that His body could be placed there. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. <coughs> and let's look at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. It says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. If Jesus had prayers and petition, loud cries and even tears, and He was the very Son of God, it is, it is an expected thing that we have these sufferings in our life, just like the previous passage said. To the one who can save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverent submission. He was heard because He allowed the God of all creation to prepare His body, to prepare a place in His life, to equip Him to the point that His reverent submission is what allowed Him to be heard. Although He was a son, He learned obedience from what He suffered. And once made perfect, He became the source. Everybody say source. source. Of eternal salvation for all who would obey Him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. If Jesus Himself had to be prepared... If Jesus Himself had to go through suffering and obedience to be rightly equipped for the fulfillment of God's Word, how much more should we be rightly equipped through suffering and through obedience, through Him equipping us in every way? Joy, can you put the last uh, slide up there? In Hebrews chapter 13, since we're close, everybody just turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. says this. <clears throat> In the NIV it says this, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good. I want you to see this version. This is actually the complete Jewish Bible. May God equip you with every good thing that you need to do His will. Isn't that a neat version there? It's everything that you need. In another translation, the New King James, you know what it says? It says, may God equip you in every good thing. While you're doing the good work that He gives you to do, that is what causes you to be equipped. The ergon is what the word is there, the every good thing, the every good work that you're supposed to be doing there. May God equip you with every good thing that you need to do His will. And may He do in us whatever pleases Him. Through Yeshua, the Messiah, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want Pastor Matt to come on up as we get ready to close here today. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, this great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good 
equip you with everything good, equip you in everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you guys stand with me as we close?